0: The book of Acts chapter 17, today we're continuing in our series on the church without walls and we've been looking at this idea, this concept that God has a desire for his church to be the church, not just when they meet together, but to be the church outside of where they meet together. Um, That that we're called to be the church in the world that we live, not just inside the walls of a building in which we meet. And so today we're going to continue to look at that. Uh, By looking at an upside-down world because of a right-side-up church That's that's really the sermon title. That's kind of snazzy, right? You like that? Upside-down world because of a right-side-up church. Well, that's what we're gonna be talking about today But have you ever been in a situation where when someone showed up? um, Because of of something or or whatever where someone has shown up uh, unannounced or whatever and, and when they had left they had completely changed where they were. Um, there, there, Several years ago, there was a, a movie that came out, and the movie was called Joshua. And, and in this movie, and I, I encourage you, it's a great movie. You should look it up and watch it. Uh, but there was this city and this town, and this carpenter guy showed up. His name was Joshua. And as you kind of progress through this movie, Uh, you begin to see that this man, just this one man, had such an effect on this community that when he left, the whole community had changed, and something had changed. There are times and situations where someone shows up, and just because of their presence, things change. Uh, Back in 2008, I was the youth pastor at First Baptist Lone Grove, and Jen and I were on our way home, and I got a, a phone call asking if I was at home, uh, from our pastor and I said well I'm almost home we're coming back and he said well when you get home uh, you need to go to the hospital in Ardmore and I was like okay what's going on And he said well there was a, a an accident and one of the students at the school is not doing well and the student's name was Zach and I was like okay so I, I dropped Jen off and I drove over to the hospital and I walked in the door and the first one I saw um, the, this student came out gave me a hug and, uh, and, and he looked like he'd been in an accident. And I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. And I said, well, how's Zach? And he said, Zach didn't make it. And I said, okay. So we, we kind of stood there for a second, and there were a bunch of teenagers already starting to gather up outside of the hospital uh, doors there, the emergency room doors. And so we kind of came out. Some of the administrators had showed up, and they said, hey, um, there's nothing we can do here, so we're going to go open the gym we're going to go open the gym at Lone Grove, and that's where we want our students to go. So they did. They went and opened the gym. The students started to follow in, and here I am, the only youth pastor in town, and I know most of these kids because I was the chaplain for the school, and I, and I had no idea what to say. I, and Kids were crying, as you can imagine. They were hurt. Uh, they were scared. There was just all those emotions that go with that. And I'm walking around, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do, and as I was just kind of walking around, you could just kind of see the hurt and the downtroddenness on these students, and it wasn't long, and I looked up, and here I saw my pastor, Brother Morgan, who'd been in that town for almost 30 years, and he walks up, and he has a smile on his face, and he's hugging kids and just smiling and and telling them he loved them, and it's okay, and it's okay to cry, and And the mood began to change. And I would never forget just watching as this one man walked in, how he brought such a level of comfort to that situation that it changed the dynamic of that situation. That's the first time I ever saw it with my own eyes. It was an incredible experience. Well, in Scripture, there's a story similar to that. In this case, in scripture, there's a group of people that come into this town, and by the time they leave, the town is different. And I want to look at this this morning because I believe it has some great insight into what it means to be the church outside the walls of the building. So if you have your Bibles open in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. In Acts chapter 17 and we're just going to read and this is a very common story most of you have heard it I believe I've even preached on it a time or two But I really want to emphasize it again and and look at some things that really demonstrate what it means to be the church without walls Look at Acts chapter 17 starting in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 6 It says after they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on on sorry and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous. And they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out uh, to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting this. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, Jesus. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it for a few moments this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and the words that are shared today would be yours and not mine, and Father, that they would find the place you have for them in the hearts and the lives of your people this morning. I pray that we would be impacted through your word. And your spirit would move us in in any way that he desires to move us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you look in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul and some of his followers arrive in the town of Thessalonica. Now, no one had announced that he was coming. There were no flyers that had been passed out. There were no billboards announcing some kind of revival meeting. But by the time we get to verse 6, it tells us that they had turned or the world had been turned upside down by these men. Now, that, that means really two things. Not only when they say that, does that statement lead you to believe that everywhere Paul had went, the world had been turned upside down. They knew that, but it also happened there. That they come and they did that in this city, and they were not happy. How do I know that? Because in verse five it says that the Jews became jealous. Now, if Paul had just shown up and nothing was happening, there'd be no reason for him, for the Jews to be jealous. They're jealous because Paul begins to preach and reason for three weeks that people had that, that Jesus was the Messiah and that he needed to die, and people were beginning to flock to that to that theology and to that gospel, and it made the Jewish people jealous because they didn't like that. They, they thought that was blasphemous, and they didn't like the fact that Jesus was being considered the Messiah. And when you see this, not only does it happen here, but if you follow, starting in chapter 17, and you just read the next few chapter chapters in Acts, you'll see that Paul goes to many places, And everywhere he goes, he spends time preaching the gospel and proclaiming Jesus as the risen Messiah and how there were always people that responded to that and there were always people who didn't like it. And that's what caused the world to be flipped upside down. They, they took what was just kind of status quo, and they changed it. Wouldn't it be great if we would take the gospel out in such a way that status quo in our town, in our city, in our county, in our state, in our country, the status quo was flipped upside down? Well, I'm here to tell you the only way that happens is if we follow the example of Paul. And in, in these cases, Paul gives us diligently some aspects of being the church without walls because what I can tell you is is we can sit inside the building and preach these truths until we're blue in the face but if we don't take these truths outside the walls then the world would never be flipped right side up and so let's look for a minute this morning at four aspects of this text now this text really does two things for us in relation to being the church without walls. Number one, it demonstrates what the church without walls looks like. That's the main premise that we're going to look at this morning, but it also demonstrates the effect of what happens when a church is being the church without walls. So let's look at that first one. What does it look like for the church to be the church without walls, or what uh, what are some aspects of that? Well, there are four of them found in our text. Number one, The first aspect of being the church without walls is the church without walls goes to the people. It goes to the people. Look at verse 2, back in chapter 17, verse 2. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scripture. Now, the emphasis there is on the synagogue. Now, what I want you to understand is the synagogue does not represent the church in this situation, though I do believe that taking the gospel to the church is a good thing because I believe there are a lot of lost people inside the church. But that's not the emphasis. The synagogue represents where Paul knew his lost Jewish brothers were located. He knew where the people were. And if you know anything about Paul, now we know that Paul— it becomes the, the, the apostle that is commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles because the Jews started to abandon it. We know that. But we also know that Paul's custom was, even when he became the one in charge of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, that Paul always took the gospel to the Jews first. Everywhere he ever went, Paul took the gospel to the Jews. And they either accepted it or rejected it, and then he went to the Gentiles. So the synagogue represents where he knew his lost Jewish brothers and sisters were located. So he went to where they were. He went and found where they were. Hey, listen, a church without walls goes to where the lost people are. The the church without walls doesn't wait for the lost people to come in. They go where they are already. They are the instigators of the gospel. A lot of times we want to wait for gospel opportunities. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We are supposed to initiate gospel opportunities. That's what it means to be the church without walls. See, a lot of times we sit and pray, God, give me someone to share the gospel with today. That's not necessarily a bad prayer, but our prayer is, God, I'm going to share the gospel with someone today. I pray for their heart when I do. We don't wait for opportunities to share the gospel. We initiate opportunities to share the gospel. And so the Church Without Walls has to go where the people are in order to do that. We have to go into their world. Now, I think I've used this illustration before but what would we think of a man who says he's going fishing and he has all the equipment that he needs, yet only carries his bucket around the pond edge, or worse, never gets off the porch? Dax, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Daxon's our, our fisherman in this town, right? Dax, you're the fisherman. He's the guy. Okay, how many fish do you think I'd catch if I'm dressed in the best gear that money can buy? I have the nicest reel, nicest lures, but I never leave the parsonage front porch. Yeah, zero. Yeah, I'm not going to get, why? Why am I not? Because I'm not fishing, because there's no fish there. Okay, but that's a lot of what the church looks like a lot of times. We have all the technology. We have all the things that we need. We have everything money can buy for the gospel, but we never leave and go to the pond. We're not going to catch fish people that way that's why jesus said when he talk, called a couple of his disciples he said follow me and i'll make you fishers of men well if you want to be a fisherman you got to go where the fish are i'm telling you church if we want to be the church without walls we got to go where the people are we can't wait for them to come here i can tell you i've never caught a fish sitting on my front porch doubt i ever will unless there's a great flood that comes and gives me a pond right up next to my front porch In which case, I might catch some. But if I want to catch fish, i got to go where they're at. And if we want to catch souls, we got to instigate that by going to them, not waiting for them to come to us. So Paul gives us that first example. And like I said, you don't just see it here. If you just continue to read the journeys of Paul, everywhere Paul went, he instigated opportunities to share the gospel. Paul's a great example of this, church. There's so many things I could say about Paul, but one of my favorite stories about Paul is when he's arrested and accused of something. But you got to remember Paul is a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, it was against the law for anyone to be punished until they'd been tried. And they put Paul in prison. They beat him and do several things, and it's not until the very end after he's witnessed that he finally brings out, no, oh, you can't just release me. You've done it illegal because you arrested me and, tr- and you punished me without a trial and I'm a Roman citizen. He could have said that at the beginning and been let go because it is against the law to try and put a, someone in jail that was a Roman citizen without a trial. But that's exactly what they did to Paul. But instead of Paul saying, hey, you can't do this to me, Paul, let them do it. Why? To instigate opportunities to share the gospel in that prison. You see, there, there's so many ways that we could look at this story, but the basic point is a church without walls goes to the people. Number two, not only does the church without walls goes, go to the people, but a church without walls is consistent in what they do. They're consistent. Look at it again in verse 2. He says, As usual, Paul went to the synagogue, and, and here's the key on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scripture. He, he went more than once. All this didn't just transpire in one day. This is three weeks. Three weeks of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to talk to the Jewish people about Christ. He was consistent. This is where I believe a lot of us fall short. A lot of us want to share maybe once and be done with it but we have to continually share our faith to be the church without walls it's not once and done that's who we are we are to be the church without walls all the time until we go to be with jesus and so we don't just share once we share continually it has to be consistent here's the point you don't know how many times it's going to take to share the gospel before somebody responds we don't none of us do Yet a lot of times we tend to give up on people because they reject us or, or worse, threaten us or, or worse, curse God. Listen, it's not our, our place to make them saved. We just got to keep telling them. Just keep on telling them. Keep on telling them. You know, I, I've told you all this before, but primarily... I'm a product of van ministry. And um, there was a gentleman in my town who lived right next door to my grandma that used to pick my sister and I up and take us to church, Mr. Filson. You know how many times Mr. Filson pulled up to my driveway and honked the horn and I walked over to the door to the window and waved him on? A lot you know what he never did he never stopped stopping and then when he stopped driving the bus because he couldn't do it anymore another man by the name of Guy Tucker drove the van and stopped at the house and guess how many times he stopped and I waved him on more than once but he never stopped stopping he always stopped I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for the people in my life that have continually given in my life and shared the gospel with me. And and then the day that I got saved was a culmination of all of that. I didn't hear the gospel once and respond. Most of us in this room didn't hear the gospel one time and respond. Most of us heard it continually, at least for a while, and then we responded. Aren't you glad that they didn't stop? That's the way it needs to be with us. We can't decide and dictate whether or not they're going to be receptive. We just, we just share it continually. That's what Paul did. He went to the people, and he continually, he consistently shared his faith. Number three, not only is a church without, uh, without walls consistent and, and going to the people, but number three, the church without walls reasons from Scripture. Reasons from Scripture. Look back at verse 2 again. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we take the Word of God with us when we go outside the walls? Because the Word of God is not just some book. The Word of God is alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen to what... The book of Hebrews says about the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. It joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God is a powerful tool. Why? Because it is the word of God. It's not my word. I want you to know, people can argue with my word all day long. And they can try to argue with God's word all day long. The difference is they're not going to get anywhere arguing with God's word. Because he doesn't change his word. His word is forever settled in heaven according to what the word of God records for us. And it's not going to change. And it is that which is powerful. I have seen in my life the word of God penetrate the hardest of hearts that people had tried to penetrate over and over again, but couldn't do it. Why? Because my word doesn't have that kind of power. Only the word of God can cut through the heart. And and what we have today, what we're in danger of today, particularly in our culture in America, is we have a lot of churches that are trying to be the church without walls, but they don't take the word of God with Listen, the Word of God is not just a sword. The Word of God is a light, according to Psalm 119. Why in the world would you ever storm into the darkness without the light? But that's what a lot of churches try to do. They try to be relevant and cool and do all this and do all that. And, well, we don't really—the Word of God's kind of antiquated. It's outdated. You know, people in our culture don't want to hear it. It doesn't matter if they want to hear it or not. It doesn't change that that's what's powerful. And that's what they need to hear. And so the word of God has to be a vital aspect of who we are if we're going to be the church without walls. The problem is many of us don't feel qualified to take the word of God with us when we leave. We don't feel qualified. Can I just tell you the only reason why we would feel that way is because we don't spend time in it. You don't need a seminary degree to take the word of God to the lost people. You do realize Jesus picked 12 disciples and not a one of them was technically a learned man in in theology. Let me tell you something kind of cool about Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, it doesn't tell us how old they are. But based off the fact that they're still, particularly Andrew and Simon and James and John, the brothers, are still with their father leads us to believe that they were young men, probably in their teenage years. As a Jewish boy in their teenage years, they should have already been assigned a rabbi. And what would have happened in that culture is this rabbi would have come and taken those people, and and he would have discipled them, and he would have given them, guess this is going to be cool, it's all tied together, he's going to give them what's called a yoke. Where, where does that sound familiar? Where does Jesus talk about a yoke? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the, the, these Jewish boys were put under the lawish burden of a yoke of a rabbi. Yet when Jesus is calling them, these guys are under no teaching. So in a lot of ways, you could say these kids were rejected by the Jewish people. They weren't even good enough to have had a rabbi select them To come under their yoke. So Jesus takes them and he changed the world with them. You don't have to be the best at knowing stuff. You don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to have all the things the world says you need to have in order to be successful with the gospel. You just need to simply know it and you know it when you read it and study it for yourself. It, it, there's only one reason, again, that we don't know the Word of God. It's many times we just don't spend time in it ourselves. Another verse of Scripture about the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God, and here's what it's useful for. And it is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good. Should a pastor help equip you ministerially? Absolutely. But I can assure you no pastor can equip you the way the Word of God equips you. Because the Word of God is the Word of God. It speaks when I can't. Or when whoever's standing in this pulpit can't. So the Word of God has to be a vital part of what we do. And that means it has to be a vital part of who we are individually. So we can take the Word of God outside the walls. And then lastly, the fourth aspect being the church without walls is the church without walls proclaims Christ. Look back at verse 3. He says, so he, he, he went to the synagogue. He, for three days, reasoned with them from scriptures. And then in verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from this, from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. It is essential that the church preach Christ. Christ. What is the message of the church? Christ. What is the message of the church? Christ. I I can tell you, if someone says, what is the emphasis of Walika First Baptist Church? Your answer ought to be Christ. Christ. that's, That's the message. That's who we're to proclaim. We're to proclaim Christ. Now, what does it mean to proclaim Christ? It means to tell who he is. Well, who is Jesus? He's the son of God, the savior of the world who died on the cross for people's sins, paying the price for them. So you tell who he is, you tell what he did, which again, he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and then three days later, he rose again. And you tell what he wants to do for them. He wants to save you and have a relationship with you. It's really not that more, much more difficult. You say, well, Brother Dwayne, people ask big questions. They do, and there's a time and a place to answer those, but it really just boils back down to that right there. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sin and desires to have a relationship with them if they would repent and place their faith in him. That's what the church is to proclaim. That's our message. But a lot of churches, in a lot of ways, we want to proclaim other things. Again, I'm going to go back to a movie. Okay? Uh, You can write this down. Again, if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Time Changer. Time Changer. And it's about this seminary professor in the 1800s writing a book And he's getting a lot of flack from another seminary professor because the basic premise of the book is that you can teach right and wrong without necessarily having to tie it back to Jesus. And so he's getting a lot of flack, a lot of blowback from this other seminary professor who invites him over to dinner. Lo and behold, it's a science fiction movie. This guy's created a time machine, and he puts this professor in it, and he fast-forwarded him from the 1800s into modern-day America heartbreaking movie really in a lot of ways but one of the things that stood out to me in that movie was he he went to this church to worship and they said hey we have visitation on tuesday nights so he showed up on tuesday night the seminary professor from the 1800s he gets on this van and they begin to go around and and they're visiting people about their church and he walks in and the people were like, you're new here, so you just kind of sit back and watch. We'll show you, you know, what we do. And they began to line out all the great things about their church. We have this ministry. We have that ministry. We have our Sunday school class goes on a movie uh, deal once a month. We have bowling nights. We have church softball league. And we have all this stuff for your kids and all this. And the seminar professor is just sitting there watching. And at the end, he comes back and he said, you guys didn't tell him about Jesus one time. Like, it's not bad to tell people what you do as a church, but you might want to tell them that your church is there to glorify Jesus. Because that's who we are. Otherwise, you're a social club. That's If Jesus isn't the premise of the church, you're a social club. That's what you do. What social clubs do? They get together and fellowship and have a good time. They they bowl. They They play softball. They play pool or whatever else you want to do. And they have a good time together. They fellowship together. That's a social club. Uh, What makes the church different? Jesus. That in all of that, Jesus is the the glorified one of all of that. That's what makes the church different. And, And so we have to proclaim Christ in every aspect of what we do. How do we do that? In what we say and in what we do. We glorify Christ. So a church that goes to the people is consistent, reasoning from the word of God, proclaiming Christ. Those are marks of a church without walls. And you would literally become a church without walls. But I want you to know, when you do this, it makes a huge difference to your area. That's after he had done this for three weeks, that's where we see the Jews begin to begin jealous because the gospel being preached people are changing and those who like the status quo got jealous and they didn't like it the truth of the matter is a church without walls will make a huge difference in your community years ago I, asked, I was asked this question at a conference and I think I came back and asked you this question here at the church so I'm going to ask you that again but the question was simply this If your church no longer existed in your community, would your community be any different? Would it matter or be different if your church closed its doors and no longer met? I I would say in a lot of communities, if a church closed their doors, the community wouldn't even notice. Now, I, I got brave, and I actually put that on Facebook that all those years ago, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised at the number of people that live in Walika that do not come to our church that said our community would not be the same if your church shut its doors. Aren't, aren't you a little bit thankful for that? But can you let that cause you to get complacent? We have to continue on and continue on going to the people consistently proclaiming the Word of God, exalting Jesus Christ. And when we do, it will make a difference in your community. Now, some of you may think, you know, I really, Brother Dwayne, that's all well and good. That's nice. That's a good thought. But I just, I don't really think I can make a difference. I'm not special. I'm not really all that smart. I'm not all that outspoken or outgoing, and I just don't really see me making that much of a difference. I want you to know that each and every one of us can make a difference, no matter who you are and what you look like. Years ago, when I was, I guess, 14, and I'll close with this story. Years ago, when I was 14, um, my cousin, who... I grew up, we, he lived with my grandparents, two years older than me. He turned 16. He had a pickup truck. <clears throat> and we asked if we could drive to Oklahoma City because we wanted to watch the Tough Man Contest. Is anybody in here familiar with Oklahoma Tough Man Contest? Okay, it's a, it's a boxing match for people who know nothing about real boxing to see who's the toughest one in this tournament. We wanted to go watch it. It was at the state fairgrounds. And my, my, why, I have no idea. But my parents said I could, and my grandparents said that he could. So we drove up there to watch this tough man competition. We get up there, and we're, and we're watching. And, and uh, the first match we saw, this guy came out to the ring, and he was probably 5'3", f- three, Maybe. Maybe, maybe pushing it Okay, and he comes to the ring Just a short fella Not all that big Didn't look, wasn't all muscled up Just a normal looking, shorter man And when he gets to the ring And they call for his opponent And his opponent comes out And I'm not kidding you His opponent was six foot six And was big And I mean big And me and my cousin looked at each other And went, this is not going to end well and I said, who, who in their right mind, like, if I'm that guy and I see this six-foot-six giant coming in, I'm like waving the towel. I'm done. I don't need to be in here with this guy. And he, so and the, he didn't. And they come to the ring, and they brought him to the middle, and they gave him their instructions, and they hit that bell, and I never have seen such a spectacle in my life. <laughs> that little man wore that tall guy out. And, I mean, he was jumping a lot of times to, like, to hit him. And that guy couldn't do anything. He, he couldn't respond. And we watched that little guy. I think he won four matches before he finally got beat. I've never seen such a less impressive person make such a difference in a, in a match of any kind in my life. But, you know, I learned a pretty good lesson watching that. It's not about what you look like. And it's not about all the skill that you have. A lot of times it's just about staying power. That's really what it's about. And bravery. And not being afraid. And as I think about the church being the church without walls, I think the same thing. It's not about how much you know or how much you don't know, it's about being brave, not being afraid. And having stay in power. Because I can assure you, when we walk out these doors to be the church without walls, there's gonna be there's gonna be battles that we don't win. But we have to stay the course. And it's not about being the smartest person, it's about being an obedient person and allowing the Lord to fight our battles in those cases and not quitting. You would be amazed at what will happen when the church becomes the church without walls and they have the staying power and the bravery to keep up the good fight. Paul said, as a final departing words to Timothy in the book of Second Timothy, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my race. That's what the church needs to be. A church that fights the fight and finishes the race.